I want to use an unusual text this morning, and I want to try to deal with our relationship to the sovereignty of God, our relationship to the divine work of God. Look at verse number 18, 1 Samuel 3 and 18. And Samuel told him every whit and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is Eli, replied to young Samuel, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Job stated in Job chapter 1 verse number 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. The psalmist David said in Psalm 39, verse number 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is. Now, how do you like that for proper British grammar? What it is. The measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am, that I may know how frail I am. Now, we talk about the will of God and wanting to do the will of God and wanting God's will done in our lives and surrendering ourselves to God's work. But we all have a corrupt nature. And generally, the biggest obstacle I have to the will of God is me. Most of us pray, Lord, now this is what I want to do. And I want what I want to do to be your will for me. Now God has allowed most of us to have the desires of our heart. As I have, I've been preaching 42 years now. And as I have arrived at this station in my life and in my ministry, things have not turned out like I thought they would. But I wouldn't change anything that God has done. I have lived long enough now to be grateful that God did not answer some of my prayers the way I prayed them. And I've lived long enough to be grateful that God did not do for me what I wanted Him to do. If God had done for me what I had asked Him to do for me, I may not be standing here. I may not be the man I am today. I may not be surrounded by you and by the people that I'm now surrounded with. And none of us had enough understanding or ability to figure that out. Not one of us could have charted the course of our life, and yet the people I'm looking at, if you believe what I believe, you're grateful that God has done for you what He has done for you when what He did for you was not what you asked Him to do. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Rather than praying, Lord, not thy will but mine be done. And that's the way most of us pray. 
Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Now this text is found in one of the most unusual settings in the Bible. We have the, the high priest Eli. If there's ever man in the Bible that was lackluster in his work, it's the man Eli. I don't want any of you pastors to pastor your churches like Eli presided as the high priest over the temple. He just let things go. He just, you know, he died with a whole bunch of loose ends, a lot of things untied. By the way, you know, one of the qualifications for the pastor is ruling his own house well, and a man that can't pay his power bill before he becomes a pastor, I just don't think that man's qualified to pastor church. Amen now. Amen now. If you can't take care of your household affairs, how are you going to take care of the affairs of the Lord's people and of the Lord's house? You see. I don't want you to be like the man Eli. But with all the faults Eli had, Eli still was God's high priest. On occasion I've said, you know, a stop clock is right twice a day. And it is. So I find this profound statement. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Made by a man that I wouldn't expect to make that statement. I would not expect Eli at all to make this statement. In fact, by comparison, King Hezekiah was a much more dedicated and fervent man than the man Hezekiah's life is marked by godliness and by diligence and yet when it came time for Hezekiah to die, he didn't say what Eli said here. He said, wait a minute, Lord, I'm not ready to die. Have not I done this and I've done that and I've done the other and I've said this and I've said that and you're going to let me die now? And he began to bargain with the Lord. And you and I, we find ourselves bargaining with the Lord. Now, Lord, if you'll just let me do this now, I promise... How many people have laid in the hospital and said, Lord, if you'll just heal me and let me get out of this hospital, I'll go to church on Wednesday night prayer meeting. I'll go to Sunday school. And they get out of the hospital and they go to one service. And the FBI can't find them. Hezekiah began to bargain with the Lord, don't let me die now. And Eli said, it is the Lord. I'll not bargain with him. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Now Paul the Apostle said concerning the Old Testament that these things are our examples and we're going to glean from the example that we have here in the balance of this meeting. Back up to verse number one with me. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at the time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began, began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Verse number one, and the child Samuel, Samuel's a miracle child. You remember his mother Hannah was barren and could have no children, and she began to pray. And that's one of the faults that we find with Eli. You and I should be careful. Paul said judge nothing before the time. I, I don't know those things that are unrevealed to me. I know why I, I can see people come to pray. But I don't know why people have come to pray. 
And Hannah was so burdened over that, she went down and prayed under a great burden and prayed under her breath. And Eli rebuked her for that. Eli didn't know why she was burdened. He assumed, and that's always a dangerous thing, that I assume anything. And he assumed that she had been drinking. And she had to defend herself and said, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not drinking. No, I'm not drunken. I'm burdened. She wanted to have a baby. And every normal woman wants to have a baby. No man is complete till he marries a wife. And no family is complete until the children start coming. And uh, don't, hey, fellas, don't tear your baby beds down. My wife and I have been married 38 years, and we've slept 35 years with a baby crib at the foot of our bed. Amen. There's still one there now. But as you get one generation out the door, and they'll bring another generation. My pastor just had a great-grandbaby born and got another on the way. Don't tear your baby beds down. I can sleep with grandmother with a baby bed at the foot of our bed. And no family is complete until the children start to come and then later the grandchildren, then later the great-grandchildren and she was burdened about that thing. And Eli, Eli didn't know. And he rebuked her. He spoke out of hand. And now that miracle child, Samuel, that Hannah had asked for, she said, Lord, if you'll give him to me, I'll give him back. And she did just that. And now young Samuel is ministering as a child unto the Lord. I was sitting back there and I heard one of my great nephews say amen. Didn't bother me at all. He say amen again. The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord is precious in those days. There was no open vision. And in our day, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. All I have is what I have right here. And I read it and 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 reread it and reread it over and over. I've read it almost 60 times from front to back. The word of the Lord is precious. In those days there was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, evening tide has now come, and his eyes began to wax dim. Old age is creeping up on him that he could not see. And I pray to God, we were talking about my grandfather coming up here. My grandfather, until the day he died, was continuing to develop his understanding in the Scripture. He was preaching messages the year he died. He only lived nine months the year he died. But the year he died, he brought some of the best messages I ever heard him bring. And they were not reruns. They were, they were new messages, new ex expositions of the Scripture. And we had to help him to the pulpit and help him sit down. But when he got there, his eyes were not dim. And his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. And that's a violation of Mosaic law. That seven branch lampstand, the menorah, was to burn 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. It was to burn just as bright at 3 a.m. as it did in 3 in the afternoon. And Eli, in typical Eli fashion, there's nobody to enjoy the menorah at 3 in the morning. We'll just let it burn down at night and no need to burn up those wicks and refuel it with olive oil. We'll let it burn down and in the morning we'll, we'll crank it back up. And we have churches doing that today. You know, we got churches in Greenville and those people are more spiritual than we are because they can get by with one 10 o'clock service a week. 
By 12 o'clock, we've had four services. At Rock Springs, by 12 o'clock, we've, we've already met four times. And we meet back at 6. And we meet back for Wednesday night prayer meeting. And women's Bible study and men's Bible study. Listen, if I wasn't going to have Sunday night service, I'd go down to church by myself, park my car in the driveway, and get some other people to bring cars that won't run and line them up, and I'd go in and turn on the lights and sing Just As I Am and Amazing Grace, and I'd preach just so the neighbors would think I'm having a service. If nobody came, well, the people won't come on Sunday night. Well, I'll be there. And if you're there, you can't say nobody's here because we're here. We can get four or five of us up and somebody starts singing. For long, there are going to be people shouting and saying, Praise the Lord. And somebody start preaching. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple. Now is not the time for us to be curtailing our services and backing away from our services. Amen. We should not let this world system dictate to us, Well, the people won't come. And I'm, I'm stunned at the churches that no longer have meetings, no longer have protracted meetings, revivals, Bible conferences. Ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of, God, of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now watch what happens. That the Lord called Samuel. Young Samuel has gone and crawled in his bed down the hallway, beyond where the menorah is, Samuel is in his bedroom. Samuel crawls up in his bed and pulls the covers up to go to sleep. And young Samuel goes in his little apartment, the little room where he is, and he lays down in the bed. And about the time he drifts off to sleep, Samuel! Samuel gets up and he puts his slippers on. He gets his robe and puts it around him, comes out of his room down the hallway and goes into Eli's bedroom and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, Eli responded back to him, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. I don't think Eli thought anything about that. I don't think young Samuel thought anything about that. Young Samuel comes out of Eli's bedroom, back down the hall, back into his little apartment, takes his robe off, the slippers off, crawls back in the bed. And while he lay there, look at verse 6. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. Samuel arose and put on his slippers and his robe back out of his little apartment down the hallway into Eli's bedroom and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli rolled over and said, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now I might read between the lines a little bit. Eli said, I wonder what's wrong with that boy tonight. Now Samuel, now look at verse 7. This is an interesting text. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now how am I to understand that? Now let me give you some carporology. You don't, you don't have to agree with me on this because I'm not absolutely sure. When you're not sure, tell people you're not sure. I don't take this in the absolute sense. Now Samuel was a lost heathen sinner and I, I don't, the context will not allow that. Because I read in verse number one, the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. Samuel had not had the opportunity 
to walk with God. You see, I look around in here at men with gray hair, men that have been in the ministry, men that have 40, 50, and beyond years in the ministry. And after a while of walking with the Lord, preaching His Word, reading His Word, dealing with God's people, trying to pastor a local assembly, or trying to do the work of an evangelist, you begin to learn the Lord's ways. You learn how God works. I am not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I have seen the work of God. And there are times when I can kind of give you a general idea based on what I've observed in the past. This is what I'm looking for to happen. I've had men come up and say, God has called me to preach. And I look back at them and say, tell me something else that surprises me. I've been waiting on this. I've been expecting this. Samuel as a child had not had the time to learn God's ways. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He's ministering unto him. That's why Paul the apostle exhorts the young minister that he is to honor and to treat the elders as fathers. I say sir to my son, but if I, if, if I were to say what to a man that's older than me, my grandfather would roll over in his grave and my dad would rise from the dead. He was in the Marine Corps. He said sir to everybody. He said sir, yes sir. In fact, when I began to fellowship with the Rochesters, I was raised, you don't, those that are older than you, you don't call them by their first name. And if you're too close to them to call them mister, you call them uncle and aunt. I called my mother and father-in-law uncle and aunt. Could you figure out some of those wise people, quote unquote, up in Washington, come down here to the Nicholson family reunion and hear me walk up and call my father-in-law uncle? Why, they'd write back to Washington and say, they do marry their kinfolk down here. <laughs> but I called... Brother Rochester, Uncle Harold, named Joyce. And I was no kin to him, but I could not, I just could not bring myself to call him Harold and Joyce. And I was too close to him to call him Mr. and Ms. Rochester. So they were uncle and aunt. That's right. The young preachers need to spend some time with those men that have gone on before them and fellowship with them and they can learn and glean from them and gather from them. So we got a bunch of young fellows on our hands today. They don't have any time for anybody. They think everybody's older than 30 years old is ancient. You need some time to sit at the feet of godly men, men that have trod before you. I know one thing, they sure will save you from a lot of heartache. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He, he's not old enough to recognize God is doing a work here. God has something in mind and I need to find out what God is doing. God's doing something here. I may not know what he's doing, but I know God is at work here. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. 
neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Paul said, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Here's a good day in my life when the Bible became alive to me. Line upon line, precept upon precept, the book became alive. It became a living book to me. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. Samuel's now laying in his bed, pulls the covers up. Samuel! And he arose and put on his slippers and put his robe on, came out of his apartment, down the hallway for the third time, walked into Eli's room, went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. Now you know, the callings of God are without repentance. Eli was not the man that you should model your ministry after. But he was God's man. He was God's high priest. Right, wrong, or indifferent. He was God's high priest. And Eli's eyes might have been dim, but he perceived. Look at the verse. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Eli, I imagine, sits up on the side of his bed. The Bible said he was a great large man. I imagine he sat up when he died. He fell off the chair while he was sitting because of his weight and broke his neck when he heard that his sons had been killed. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured. And I imagine Eli, he, all he did was roll over the other times I imagine now he probably sat up on the edge of his bed, his great large belly out on his knees, and he looks at that young boy standing there with peach fuzz on his face, and he perceived that the Lord had called the child. And I imagine Eli probably sat there and milked his beard and looked at that young boy and said, God is doing a work, and this young child has no idea what God is doing. Therefore, verse number 9, Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be that if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I wonder what was going through Samuel's mind. He walks out of Eli's bedroom, back down the hallway, turns and goes into his bed. He might have been afraid to go back into that room. Went back in his room, took his slippers off and took his robe off. I bet he didn't sleep another wink the rest of the night. And he laid down, he pulled the covers up, and he looked at the ceiling and looked at the walls. And the Lord came, verse number 10. The Lord came and stood and called as at other times. I've been in services where I've opened my eyes. The presence of God was so real that I looked to see if I could see the divine glory. I felt the Lord in my soul. I felt the Lord standing in the room. The Lord was standing in the room. Speak, Lord. Thy servant heareth. Samuel, then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, 
My soul, this being said to this young child, ask of the Lord, Samuel, lent back to God by his mother. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. That you will see a man beyond repentance. When I begin, I will also make an end. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him, can you imagine Samuel getting in on this? All of us need somebody we can trust, that we can talk to. I can count them on one hand and not use up my fingers. One of them sitting here, my pastor. If I can tell him, he won't tell anybody. I have been stunned sometimes when I've been brought into people's confidence. Can you imagine young Samuel? His mind must have been spinning. When Almighty God, the Ancient of Days, God that inhabiteth eternity, is telling him this. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. That is not pleasant. You know, that's why everything treks left. It just all treks left, because nobody will deal with it. It, it, all, it just keeps trekking left. It treks left, it treks left, it treks left. So... Let me say this as it in my sermon. I want you all to pray for me because I'm going to file next week to run for the South Carolina Senate in District 9. And I've been following the South Carolina Senate. And so the Senate passed this week Bill S-915, which creates a health czar in the state of South Carolina. This man has more power than our 46 sheriffs. He can say, we're going to shut her down, boys. You pastors, just lock, lock your doors, go home. And the sheriff, the sheriff in Greenville County said, uh, told the governor to his face, said, I'm not enforcing that. No, I go to church, and these people need to go to church, and I teach Sunday school, and I'm going to go teach my Sunday school class. You take your mandate and go somewhere else with it. That I'm not enforcing that in Greenville County. This bill they just passed, this man will have more power than the governor. And unelected, nobody can vote him out because nobody voted him in. Okay, why would the Senate do something like that? Why would they do that? I'll tell you exactly why they do that. Because they just don't want to have to deal with it if it comes up. In South Carolina, our school taxes go up every year because the state legislature said, look, we just don't want to deal with this, so we just write it into the law. Every year the schools get X number of dollars above and beyond what their operating expense was last year, and so we look at our tax bill, and now we're paying 75, 80, 85% of the tax bill going to the schools that we don't use. Because they said, I don't want to deal with it. I just don't want to deal with it. That's Eli. He knew what his sons were doing. And he restrained them not because he didn't want to address it. 
Therefore, the Lord telling Samuel, I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And the Lord finished what he was saying to young Samuel. And Samuel lay until the morning. It doesn't say anything about him sleeping. You reckon you could have slept or I could have slept after God made, especially as a child, made that revelation. What am I going to do with this? This is much bigger than I'll ever be. How do I handle this? And he lay until the morning. And Samuel feared. Oh, let me back. I missed a clause. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel's going about his morning routine, opening the house of the Lord, trimming the menorah. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. I would have feared too. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord said unto thee? You know, I have been right there. Have you ever dreaded having to deal with something or having to tell something? Now, I've run into a few of these knuckleheads. And every time they go to the pulpit, they put their boxing gloves on. And they act like they take a lot of pleasure in just beating the saints to death. I don't have any confidence in that at all. I question whether those men walk with the Lord. But I'm looking at a bunch of men here that have grieved in your office and grieved in your automobile and wept in your soul, but you knew I have, I have to address this, and I don't want to. I, Samuel feared all morning while he's going about the duties of the temple he was waiting for Eli to say Samuel come to my office and he dreaded that I take no pleasure in rebuking God's people and having to deal with God's people I'd rather shout and preach and shout and run up and down the aisles and holler glory. And, but you and I, we're not fools. We understand it's not always that way. Samuel was afraid to tell him, but he didn't hold back. Look what, look what happened in verse 17. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from thee. God, God, God uh, uh, do so to thee. And more also, if thou hide anything from thee of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit. Samuel told him everything. He didn't hold anything back. And hid nothing from him. And I imagine he wondered, now what is Eli going to do? Eli may go into a rage. But you remember when Nathan came to David over the matter of Uriah? You suppose Nathan walked in with his shoulders back 
and said, boy, I'm going to go down there and give David what for right now. I'm, I'll show him who's in. Uh-uh. I imagine Nathan said, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't, let somebody else do it. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to deal with this. But when he said, thou art the man, David said, Nathan, find us a place to pray. I need to get right with God. Amen. Hallelujah. David repented. Psalm 51, read it. David repented. Against thee and thee only. I didn't sin against Nathan. I sinned against God. Nathan was the messenger. And I imagine he wondered, what will Eli do? And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. I was not expecting that. Now, let me give you a few things about this matter of surrendering ourselves to the sovereignty of God. You see, I don't see what God sees. I can't see tomorrow, and I don't know tomorrow. All I know is right now. But God sees the end Revelation 22, 21, before Genesis 1, 1. And God has everything already orchestrated if I will be yielded to him and let God do with me what God wants to do with me rather than demanding that God do with me what I want him to do with me. Whenever you and I surrender ourselves to the divine sovereignty of God, number one, it is an abrogation. That's a $5 word. It is an abrogation of man's will. The most difficult thing I have ever said is not my will, but thine be done. It's the most difficult thing I have ever prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. My granddad had a man at Tabernacle back in the 50s, worked in a cotton mill, and he'd pray and he'd get down to the end of his prayer. Uneducated man. But he knew God. And he'd get down to the end of his prayer and he'd say, Now, Lord, you choose for me. And I'll be satisfied with thy choosing. There's an abrogation. We yield ourselves. Secondly, there must be an acknowledgement of man's infirmity. The biggest infirmity any of us have is we don't know. I just don't know. Make me to know my frame, the psalmist David said in Psalm 39 and verse number 4. Make me to know how frail I am. If I run it, I'll run it right in a ditch. If I try to manhandle it, I'll wreck it. I am infirm. I don't know what God knows. And I don't know what I don't know because I don't know. I don't know what I don't know because I don't know what I don't know. Number three. There must be, wait a minute now, wait a minute. There must be an accounting of sowing and reaping. There are some things I'm never going to be able to do because of things I have done. The things I've done will not qualify me or allow me to do some of the things I'd like to do. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to preach. And he said, you can be in a pool room gambling over a pool game and get in a fist fight 
and a man take a cue stick and put your eye out. And while you lay up there in the hospital, God will save you. He'll forgive you for being in the pool hall. He'll forgive you for gambling over a pool game and he'll forgive you for getting in a fight. But you'll die a one-eyed man. Now we preach a doctrine like this. If you'll come down to the altar and get saved, then everything will be perfect. If you come down to the altar and get saved, your sin would be put away. You're going to heaven. You're a child of God. But if you come down here with one eye, you're going to get up and go back with one eye. There must be an accounting of the law of sowing and reaping. I find that in the context. Then number four, this is an application of walking by faith. You and I cannot be said to walk by faith until we surrender ourselves to God's work for us. If you'd asked me when I was in college 40 years ago, hard for me to believe that I was in college 40 years ago, hard for me to believe I heard you preach 40 years ago over there at Tabernacle. If you'd asked me then, what will you be doing now? I would have said I've, I would have been at the, in the pastorate for 30 years somewhere. I would have pastored. I've never called myself an evangelist. And for a number of years, I held between 45 and 50 meetings a year. I've never considered myself an evangelist. And here I am today, and I've never pastored a day in my life. But I've always had meetings. I've always had meetings to go preach. That is walking by faith. God didn't do that for me. But God has done this. And if God has done this and this door is open, then I'm going to step through this door by faith. Number five. This is an annoyance to the flesh. Your flesh will constantly be crying out, but what about me? What about you? You and I have messed up everything we've done. We've messed up. But then there's an analyzation of God's purpose. After a while, and this is what, and I appreciate these young preachers. God bless you. Praise God. And the pastor and I were talking coming up here that young men are not volunteering for the ministry. They're not answering the call to preach. And I appreciate, I appreciate these young men. We need more of them. We need more of them at Rock Springs. We need men to answer the call to preach and, and get in the Bible and start preaching. But what they don't know that some of us know that have been around for a while is I can look back and see the purpose of God. I can see what God has done and how God brought you and me to where he's brought us. There's a deacon at Tabernacle one time that rebuked my grandfather. I wouldn't have given you 25 cents for the man's life. And I overheard him. He said, Doc Sider, you're just wrong. You're just, I, can't imagine, I just can't imagine anybody. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. It was like a little feist dog. And my grandfather stopped and looked at him and said, Young man, you mean in the light of all that God has done here? Of all that God has done here, that I haven't tried to follow the Lord's leadership. And God has done what you see he's done. An analyzation of God's purpose. And then number seven, there is an amplification of God's authority. You see, God is in charge of your life and mine. Not me. And not you. There are a lot of things I would like to do. And we'll find out how, how much of that God will let me do. 
But what God doesn't let me do, 10 years from now I'll stop and thank God. Amen. Praise the Lord. You shut that door. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. 